and welcome to episode 6, series 2 of Child in Time, a podcast about growing up into the 1960s. Welcome. Now before I start, this episode contains description of a musical presentation that was presented by 9 and 10 year old children in 1964. The manner in which the item was staged is now regarded as culturally inappropriate. I'm just saying that up front. Recently I attended an Education Week concert at a local primary school. There was a performance by a small orchestra, then a choir, followed by some dancing. For all the parents and grandparents in attendance, it was mobile phones at the ready to capture for posterity the result of all those hours of practice for the big day. I thought back to the times I was first up on stage. Unlike today, we only had a stage and maybe an upright piano off to one side. We had no amplification, no musical instruments, projectors or recorded music to play on the two big occasions during the school year, when each class had to present an item for either Education Week or the end of year speech night. Speech night was the main one, I suppose, being held at the local town hall to accommodate everyone. When I was in third class, now known as Year 3, our teacher said we had to put on an item for speech night and would any child like to volunteer to perform? I never realised the implication. I didn't know the consequences that would flow from the moment my hand shot up enthusiastically. I had the gig, just like that. No audition, no read-through, nothing. The little play, or more accurately, a short mime, was about a young prince who was lonely and wanted a red ball to play with. I was just to wander about the stage, pretend to look out a window and wish for a red ball. Shortly afterwards, a ball arrives from stage right. I catch it on one bounce and beam my happiness to the audience. This is all done while the rest of the class recites the simple story from off stage. So it was just a matter of following the narrative. We did a few rehearsals and the teacher, on cue, would throw the big red plastic ball to me and I would catch it on one bounce and give a big smile. Easy. The whole thing only went for a few minutes. Next, my costume. I was to be dressed as, well, a little prince. One afternoon, the teacher instructed me to go out of the classroom and change so my classmates could see me as I would be in the performance. I walked into the classroom in my red tights, smiling broadly. But my smile soon dissolved when it became apparent from all the tittering coming from the class that all eyes were only on my tight tights. So, this was what embarrassment felt like. To accredit the 
teacher, she quickly clocked the situation and I was told to go and change back into uniform. As I changed, I thought, why am I doing this? Even as a mere nine-year-old, I could clearly envisage the horror of marching out on stage to the assembled entire school plus parents in the town hall on speech night. Um, The next day, my teacher called me to her desk. Scott, she said, I think your costume needs a cape. You bet it does, lady. Now, speech night was only a few days away, so the performance was to be the debut of the now caped and suitably modest prince. Backstage, just before the show, my white cape, which looked a bit like it had started life as a curtain somewhere, was tied around my neck. It reached down to my mid-calf. Good. Now it was time to take the stage. Before I walked on, I put my left arm under the cape and took both ends of the cape between my thumb and forefinger in a vice-like grip at the front of my body. Tonight, folks, you're only going to see my tights from mid-calf to my feet. I'm going to catch the ball one-handed, if necessary. So, off we went. The narration started. I hid all my cues. I stared out the imaginary castle window, wishing for a red ball. Then we came to the climax. I looked to my left with the teacher standing in the wings with the ball. Here it comes. We'd done this many times before in rehearsal. For some reason, I'll never understand. Instead of throwing the ball up to me to catch on one bounce, she threw it downwards, and before I knew it, the ball had bounced past me and was headed to the lip of the stage. I gave chase and dived forward just before it bounced into the audience. I was now sitting, legs akimbo, the cape behind me, clutching the ball. I stood up and slept off stage left to a smattering of polite applause. On the way home in the car, there was only one comment. Mum said, Gee, Scotty, the ball nearly rolled off the stage. Yes, Mum. It wasn't supposed to be like that. After the school holidays, I was in fourth class with a teacher who, well, she still often mentioned class reunions. Mrs H was a small, neat woman in early middle age whose passion for music and performing was backed by a talent to utilise her resources to the very best advantage. It was more like being in a musical than just going to school. Her first task was to see what musical raw material she had to she had to shape in her students. She started by having everyone sing a simple song while she played the piano. After we got the song, we would be told to continue singing a cappella. She would walk around, stopping to bend down close to each child as we sang, assessing our voices. 
At the end of this process, two students were picked out as leads. One was Jim. He had a lovely soprano voice, but he was just a knockabout kid like most of us. But uniquely, he was the only kid I ever knew who was learning the violin. The other kid picked was me. Only one thing I knew for sure. I wasn't picked for my Lonely Prince effort a few short months before. Mrs H was much more likely to be at a piano than her desk, having us practice singing scales. Now, I got pretty boring singing scales quite quickly. So she jazzed it up by letting us do the scales singing, yeah, 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 just like the Beatles did. She assured us that the Beatles actually did this. I doubt that. Mrs H was a very competent pianist, using sheet music barely at all, and often turning to us from a piano to encourage us to round your O's. At the first concert on Education Day, I was to sing solo. Mrs H was to accompany me as I sang the Major General song from the Gilbert Sullivan operetta, The Pirates of Penzance. Check out a clip of the song on YouTube. I'll wait. My main concern was that the song slows down and speeds up to degrees decided by the vocalist. Mrs H told me to go as fast or slow as I liked and she would stay with me. I took the stage dressed as a little general, my plastic sword on my belt and a majorly curly moustache drawn on my face to match my uniform. No tights required, thankfully. As a nine-year-old, I was singing lyrics that I didn't even understand. With many cheerful facts about the square of the hypotenuse, for instance. It all went fairly well, I suppose, but Mrs H was just warming up. The main gig was speech night at the end of the year. Mrs H was going to make sure we really put on a show. Not just a good show. She wanted to knock their socks off. Jimmy and I remained the golden boys, the soloists. We could do no wrong, and I never got into any trouble. There was another group of, well, it was mainly girls in the chorus. The kids who couldn't or wouldn't sing were sent to one side of the room on the many afternoons devoted to rehearsing. The non-performers were given worksheets to do, and they did a lot of worksheets. On a couple of occasions, Mrs H took Jimmy and I to neighbouring classrooms to sing a cappella to other classes, and have everyone clap our efforts. She had decided quite early on what our performance on speech night was going to be. We were going to do a black and white minstrel show. In 1964, the black and white minstrel show was a very successful long-running light entertainment show on TV. It ran for 20 years. 
Plus there were record-breaking stage versions and record albums that topped the charts. It was of its time. And back then, we as little kids would have performed as any racial group or animals or space aliens or anything at all. We just did as we were told. And none of us would have had the slightest idea that the way we performed was offensive. So... We rehearsed and practiced most afternoons with the occasional lesson of maths, English or some other academic sideshow. As the end of the year approached, it was time to spruik the show around the school. One afternoon, Mrs H took me out of the classroom and applied blackface makeup to my then ten-year-old face. I accompanied her to every classroom in the school to be presented as to what we had in store. It certainly piqued the interest of all the children when they saw a black face, as there was no dark-skinned students in my school. In 1964, it would still be 11 years until the White Australia policy would be abolished completely in 1975. The policy was designed to keep the population of Australia predominantly Anglo-Saxon, and it really focused on keeping Asian people from settling in Australia. From the end of World War II, uh, the White Australia policy was being slowly dismantled by successive governments until it finished altogether. You may want to look it up after listening to this. It's very interesting. So, as I was being taken to each and every classroom, I realised that the kids were not just fascinating by seeing, uh, fascinated by seeing a black face, albeit in grease paint, but that I was unrecognisable. After we visited the classrooms, Mrs H took me to the washroom to remove the makeup. But I asked for a second to regard myself in a mirror. It was a strange feeling, to be sure. Finally, the big night arrived. Fittingly, we would be the last act to perform. As the other classes did their performances, we were getting dressed and made up so I didn't see them. From time to time, I'd just hear polite applause every so often. Mrs H made sure the entire class was going to take the stage. Everyone made up, dressed as colourfully as humanly possible. The non-singers were to stand at the back of the performers and pretend to sing, I suppose. Jimmy and I were to sing the leads of things that you would expect from such a show. Camp Town races, she'll be coming round the mountain when she comes, things like that. The show climaxed with When the Saints Go Marching In. One of the girls, one of my classmates, Rhonda, moved to the front of the stage and waved her tambourine in time while half a dozen girls behind her followed her lead. It was only then my solo singing finished that I could move my eyes from looking at the back of the hall while singing to looking down and checking out the audience's reaction. I saw many, many adults who were pleasantly shocked at how good we were. Eyes riveted to the stage. After the final note, we were met with a wave of applause that went on and on. We really did knock their socks off. Six weeks later, after the school holidays, I was in fifth class. 
Time and time again, I was approached by kids I didn't or barely knew while I was in the playground. Were you one of those singers in the minstrel show? Yeah, I was, I'd answer. That was really good, I'd say. Thanks for listening. There are three more episodes in this series before episode 10, and that will be another question and answer. So please send in any questions via the website or social media channels as listed in the show bio. And plans are also underway to have a bonus episode consisting of an interview with one of the show's biggest fans. Talk soon.